Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. So glad you can join us. From kindergarten to college, students are either back in the classroom or soon will return for what's going to prove to be a challenging and interesting school year. Helping bring us up to date on what we might expect for this year are two Cranes reporters who cover education. Rachel Abbey McCafferty covers K-12 for Cranes, and Amy Morona is our higher education reporter. Rachel and Abby, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Dan. Rachel, let me start with you. Obviously, there's too many districts, and everyone seems to have different policies. So let's focus our attention on the Cleveland Metropolitan School District and perhaps Akron. How are they dealing with the beginning of school and in terms of COVID protocols? Have they set things in place? What are they asking from students and teachers? Well, you're right. I, I cover... Northeast Ohio, and everything is such a case-by-case basis when we look at the suburbs and the privates and the charters. So looking at our big urban districts, though, they are taking a few more steps than the state can. Uh, It's important to remember that the state, it's tougher for them to do any mandates like they did earlier in the pandemic because of that law that was passed. Um, You see a lot of people calling for mask mandates and things, and it's just not really possible right now. But individual districts can require them. So Cleveland and Akron are both requiring students, teachers, and staff, and visitors to wear masks when they're in the school. Um, and they're strongly recommending vaccines for anyone who's eligible. So that's that's what's happening kind of COVID-wise. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of the same as last year, trying to keep a little bit of distance, encouraging students to hand wash, um, things like that. It's Going to be going to be back to back to school though for Cleveland for the first time in a year and a half for in person five day a week week school so that's a big thing and a lot of those schools started this week so far so good we'll find out it's it's early in the school year so we're just going to be keeping an eye on how things are going and how things progress especially as these vaccines start to be approved and hopefully approved for younger students as well. Amy, you reported a few weeks ago for Cranes that three uh, local universities are mandating vaccines for students, Case Western Reserve University, the Cleveland Institute of Art, and the College of Worcester. Now, those are private schools, which can mean a whole set of different things. What about the other universities? What are they doing as the year begins? That's the million-dollar question, Dan, and that's what everyone has been talking about and continues to talk about. So you're right in that those are private institutions, and similar to Rachel, public institutions, those are schools like Cleveland State, the University of Akron, Kent State, and a whole host of others. They are, you know, kind of... uh, prohibited by current state regulations on vaccine mandates. So current House Bill 244 says institutions, all public institutions, cannot require any vaccine that hasn't been uh, fully approved by the FDA. And so right now, all those public institutions are still strongly recommending the vaccines. Now, obviously, with the Pfizer news earlier this week, we'll keep tabs on that and see how things shake out. But you have to keep in mind, you know, institutions, colleges have already begun classes. I'm at the College of Worcester right now, and, you know, classes are beginning tomorrow. So you have to keep in mind, it might be pretty challenging to, you know, mandate vaccines when students are already on campus and already beginning classes. So while vaccines may be, you know, strongly recommended, many institutions have uh, mask mandates going on. Again, I'm at a college campus right now. I have my mask in hand and uh, those are required indoors. Are those universities who don't have um, those vaccine regulations, are they doing anything to encourage students to get vaccines? They sure are. I've reported a lot on vaccine incentives that institutions have done. Now, that language is pretty similar. Everyone is strongly recommending, but that looks different 
at each place. There's, you know, different contests. Uh, you can win fancy headphones. A lot of schools, several schools are, you know, offering free semesters of tuition to enter a raffle and to win a free semester of tuition, I should say. So they're trying to do all they can to incentivize students to do this, especially to, you know, I've talked to a lot of college students who are like, you know, I don't want to see a repeat of 2020, i.e. with the shift to remote, not having as many in-person activities. And so they are, you know, just trying to navigate this themselves. But a lot of institutions, too, I should say, are trying to make it as easy as possible for students who might not have been vaccinated before to get a shot on campus. If you're a leader within the wealth management industry in Northeast Ohio, don't miss this exclusive advertising opportunity from Crane's Content Studio Cleveland. We want to hear directly from the city's wealth management professionals on all topics critical for a holistic approach to managing one's financial portfolio. Create your own unique content or choose from a range of topics including risk management, cybersecurity, college planning, and more. Go to cranescleveland.com and click Crane's Content Studio in the top right corner to learn more. Rachel, we've talked frequently on the landscape about the digital divide, especially as it applies to students. Um, that was a big deal last year, as we certainly saw that with the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. A lot of kids don't have Wi-Fi at home. Or is there anything being done to help them this year? I realize they're back in the classroom, but the issue still exists. When they get home, they don't have access to the internet. Yeah, no, it's definitely still a huge issue. And speaking with Cleveland Schools CEO, Eric Gordon, he was very concerned last year about that issue fading into the background. So they've made it a priority to not let that happen. So CMSD for sure is doing a lot to try and continue to close the digital divide. They actually this year are providing all students with a device, whether it's a tablet or a Chromebook or a laptop. Um, the Akron City Schools have, have been doing that for a few years. I think it's five years now. I'd have to go back and check, but they were doing that prior to the pandemic as well. So all students now will have a device. But like you said, it's key that they actually have at-home internet access. So early in the pandemic, the Cleveland Metropolitan School District did a lot of hotspots, a lot of kind of emergency measures to get around the fact that students didn't have the internet. This year, they're working with organizations like Digital C, the nonprofit, to make sure that students have no-cost internet at home. They're working with Charter Communications, which it does Spectrum, to provide families with internet at home who don't have, they're not in the digital C footprint. And they're still doing hotspots for students in emergency situations like those who may be homeless who don't have somewhere where they can have reliable Wi-Fi. And the district is taking these costs on themselves. This is something that they're not necessarily putting on the, the families' backs. They're making sure that their students are able to take these devices home and get the work done as needed. Now, like Amy said, I know there's a lot of concerns out there about having to return to remote schooling. So they're hoping that this is just a, they're hoping this is not a let's go back home and learn. They're hoping this is just a way to continue the technology at home when needed. So hopefully the kids are still able to stay in their classrooms this year. Well, last year they weren't. So they were obviously remote yes. learning, Rachel. And as much remote learning as you can do, you're still missing out on things. There's educational yeah. opportunities missed. Is the district doing anything to help make up? I know they had a big summer program. Do we know how that went? Or are there other activities or, or things that students are doing to try to make up for lost time and lost educational opportunities? Yeah, they're doing they're doing what they can. Like you said, that summer learning experience was supposed to just be the start. Um, it's not viewed as a, a one-off. It was viewed as just the beginning of a broader approach of enrichment engagement activities for, for students. So when I talked to Eric Gordon back in May before the summer program began, the, he told me that almost 3,000 students had signed up. Now, I was just reading up on how the program went, and the district reported that more than 8,000 students ended up registering. So that's a big, big jump. It's still only a portion of students in the district. You know, it's about, 
uh, there's about 38,000 enrolled. So it's maybe about 20% if I'm doing my math right. And that's always a risk to have journalists do math in their head, right? But I think that's about right. Um, <laughs> but it will be very interesting to see what participation looks like as these programs continue throughout the year. Because this is something that the district is continuing to expand its out-of-school programming and the partners that it works with to help continue these extracurriculars, enrichment, kind of academics and, and whatnot. But it's it's a huge issue. And I know that they're very concerned, too, about what happened with kindergarten students last year, because it's difficult to do kindergarten at that level. So it's going to be a while for us to wait and see what happens, um, especially as we wait and see even as what happens this year, if we can stay in school and keep up with these programs and not. So, yep, they are doing some work. I would love to talk to some students. You think to yourself, when we were in school, that you got yeah. your summer book report, you had to come back and have them read your book. Now these kids have a summer where they're really going to have extra stuff. I'd be interested to see how excited they were about it. Definitely. There, it wasn't just, um, you know, you, you talk about summer programming, you think it's just going to be catching up on reading and math that they lost out on over the year. And that was part of it. But it was also making sure that they had band and athletics and those sort of fun extracurriculars that are important for social development that they missed out on too. So they weren't just trapped in classrooms doing, doing meeting it, reading and math enrichment all, all summer. Maybe one of the things I guess I missed uh, over last year was the issue that enrollment really dropped. And that certainly would make sense that people just weren't ready to let their kids go back to school, especially in college. You know, they didn't want to let them enroll. What kind of numbers did we see, especially among first year students? For sure. So Dan, you might have missed it, obviously, but administrators <laughs> at higher ed institutions across the region certainly did not. This is the number one uh, issue and topic. And especially we can't even look ahead to the 21-22 academic year without looking you know, previously to see what happened in fall 2020. So I have some figures that will just kind of help set some context. So nationwide in, uh, enrollment at all institutions of various types across the country fell 2.5%. That might not seem like a lot, but that's actually double 2019's rate. And it didn't happen, you know, uh, equally, let's say like many things at the pandemic, right? Community colleges were the hardest hit institutions. So they nationwide, again, uh, dropped about 10% in enrollment last year. And of course, you know, uh, community college students, the majority are women and or people of color. And those are both groups that were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And I know you mentioned first year students. So that number nationwide, that dropped about 13%. So again, these are all figures that happened in 2020. But as we approach fall 21, and you know, the semester is just beginning. So it's too early to tell quite yet, but it's certainly, you know, what institutions are focusing on and they have done so many, you know, steps to try to prevent this and especially to try to entice students to apply. But, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding or the proof is on the campus, so to speak, uh, to see what those numbers will look like this fall. Do we have any numbers locally, any feel for how things went for Northeast Ohio colleges and universities? For sure. So we have some numbers uh, from fall 2020, and I'll pass along a link as well where you can see uh, the Cranes data list, uh, a list of all of the 26 nonprofit institutions uh, last year in the fall enrollment. So the biggest ones, uh, the biggest drops, I should say, mirrored the national trends. So again, those community colleges. So Tri-C saw about a 19% drop, as did Lakeland Community College, and then Stark State saw about a 7% drop and Lorain County Community College saw about a 6% drop, again, mirroring national trends there. You said the universities are trying to get some incentives to get people to re-enroll or to enroll at all? 
For sure. And so again, thinking of that first year group, right, that's the number that, uh, you know, people are focusing on right now. There have been a lot of incentives I've reported on several throughout the past year. Ashland University, they did a tuition promise scholarship and CSU did a two for one tuition deal. Uh, I might have got those names a little bit jumbled, but basically they have a lot of similarities and that it's kind of a two for one uh, deal for incoming freshmen with a few other requirements. You pay for the fall semester, the university in some way, shape or form will pick up the tuition for the spring. Other universities locally were trying to just up the number of applications offered. So doing things again, like raffles or contests, just trying to waiving application fees, just trying to really incentivize these students to apply. But it's important to remember too, these, you know, uh, this, we're talking about the pandemic and its impact on higher education, but it really kind of, you know, amplified problems that Ohio already had before the pandemic, right? So you can't kind of negate those. The biggest one, or arguably one of the biggest ones, there is the declining amount of high school graduates that the state has seen and is projected to continue to see. So the pandemic, again, kind of amplified that. And, you know, you can't kind of right the ship immediately, so to speak. So even as institutions are opening back up, things are, you know, loosening or maybe with Delta shifting again, who knows, uh, things, you know, won't, uh, aren't maybe thought to have a magic bullet of, you know, seeing, you know, a huge turnaround this time. But again, really early to tell. Rachel, let's circle back to K through 12. What about parents who are still leery about sending their children back to school? Do they have any options this year? Or is it, I'm sorry, you know, your son or daughter has to come to school this year? Well, I, I can't speak for all the districts, but I know that at least I saw CMSD does still have remote options. Um, I, I, it's going to be case by case basis. I know on an anecdotal level, I do have friends whose school districts were offering some sort of remote option as well. So it's, it's going to be a lot of wait and see this year. Like Amy just alluded to is Delta really threw a, a wrench into everyone's plans. I think everyone was excited over the summer for the fall to come and for a little bit of normalcy for students at all age levels. And now this does change things a little bit. So, so far, I think most people seem to be choosing the in-school option, um, especially, you know, like Cleveland schools, they are requiring masks and they have some spacing and things like that. But you just have to wait and see. So there are options out there, but I, I don't think they're being as heavily um, promoted or encouraged as they were last year. One of the things we saw, Amy, over the year is that uh, colleges and universities received some federal relief funds. In fact, the third round just came around this summer. How are they required to spend those funds? Do they have to use X amount for something and X amount for something else, or, to, or is that totally at their own discretion? You got it, Dan. It's a little bit of all of those options. And, you know, I talked to an administrator at the University of Akron a few weeks ago who told me, you know, I don't want to say these funds, federal relief funds are a game changer, but they're a game changer. So these are really like millions of dollars that these institutions are getting. So it's been distributed through the three uh, federal relief packages. And so uh, we're now just moved on to our third, as you said. So uh, there's two pots, and that has been consistent throughout each round of funding. So there's an institutional pot, and then there's a pot for students. So that pot for students strictly goes to students in terms of uh, emergency relief uh, support or scholarships or grants, because again, so many people were impacted by this pandemic. And so those grants are to help students, you know, pay for their books or in some cases, you know, pay for rent or help pay tuition, different things like that. And it's just been a real support line for those for those students. The other pot is the institutional pot. And I'll go back to, again, the third round, because 
uh, rules have kind of changed. Uh, it was definitely a time uh, at the beginning where it was that favorite, you know, saying in higher education, building the plane while you're flying it. That's kind of how a lot felt in that first round. But now that we have kind of navigated to that third, there's more flexibility in how institutions can spend that institutional pot. Some of them are paying themselves back uh, for to make up for lost tuition from those enrollment drops that we have mentioned before. And then um, some of them are reinvesting in different things like student services to boost those and help students throughout the pandemic. And then some are actually using portions of that institutional funds and kicking that back to the students. So bumping up that amount of student aid that's offered. So uh, again, more flexibility with this round, but it's been a real lifeline. Amy, you've also done some reporting about uh schools, colleges, and universities raising money. We all receive those letters from our alma mater, but a lot of activities, especially for larger donors, tend to be in person. How did things go for colleges and universities over this last year in terms of raising money for endowments and raising money for the university in general? So I've talked to a few, uh, and again, there's 26 nonprofit institutions uh, in Northeast Ohio. So just from the handful that I've talked to, uh, a few did say report, you know, better than expected uh, years, which is important for them. Again, when you keep in mind uh, just how you know how big people were impacted by this pandemic, we truly cannot underscore that and you know enough. Uh, so the ones I have talked to, you know, reported that you know the shift to online events was a silver lining. You know, again to use another phrase we hear all the time, in some ways, because say you have an alumni who you know went to school in Northeast Ohio, now lives on the West Coast. Maybe traditionally that alum couldn't come back for an in-person event. But if you're doing something via Zoom, uh, you know, they might be able to come to that a little bit easier and maintain that connection. So some, again, have uh, reported better than expected years, but then also the key there is thinking about the pipeline, right? So who's coming next? And I think that's what a lot of people in those spots, in those seats at universities are thinking about, especially when you know, maybe students who haven't spent as much time on campus aren't forming those connections right now. And then thinking about how they'll navigate that in terms of becoming, uh, transitioning to becoming a alum who donates. So even uh, that's something that a lot of people are thinking about, I think. Registration is now open for Cranes Cleveland Business's annual healthcare forum. This unique event will take place in two parts, with both virtual and live components. The virtual event on September 14th is free to attend and will feature a live Q&A with representatives from six different companies within Cleveland's Innovation District. These discussions will be used to help shape the discourse of the live event on September 21st. To purchase tickets and register, go to cranescleveland.com and click the Events tab. In both K-12 through and higher education, I'll start with you, Rachel, and I don't know if this is made public or if anybody knows, are uh, schools doing more to have mental health counselors, people like that on staff? Because kids are obviously dealing with, you know, whatever the pandemic means to them in terms of it could be frightening for little kids or it's frightening for adults too. I mean, are, are there people there to help any more than in normal? Do we know? I don't know about in terms of responding to the pandemic, to be perfectly honest, at least in the schools that I cover. That's a great question though. Um, but I do know that for the Cleveland schools, they are part of Say Yes to Education, that program that gives students, I think everyone knows about the scholarships that it gives students if they graduate from the Cleveland schools, they have scholarships to attend higher education, but it also includes wraparound services. So that has been a priority in recent years, even prior to the pandemic of making sure these wraparound services that include mental health, physical health, different, even like legal clinics, things like that to support students and their families, that's becoming more of a priority at the, at the Cleveland district. So that is something that is not a direct result of the pandemic, but it's something that has been 
happening in recent years, becoming more of a priority and hopefully will benefit students as, as they move forward. Have you heard about any extra programs, Amy, on the university level for students? I know that burnout I've read has, is always a problem for college students, but I heard even more this year that seems to be a bigger deal. For sure. So I think it's important to mention, too, those federal relief uh, dollars that I mentioned. Institutions can invest those also on mental health supports. But again, going back a little bit to fall 2020. So Governor Mike DeWine was uh, at a roundtable discussion that featured a few college students, and he kept hearing about, you know, the stressors of going back to campus, et cetera. Uh, and so the state at that time allocated about $13.5 million for institutions across the state, both public and private, specifically for or um, mental health uh, supports or services to be added. And so a lot of institutions I talked to at that time were doing things like adding counselors. Again, keep in mind also this was at the height of the, or one of the heights, let's say, of the pandemic. So they were doing things like adding virtual like chatbots where students could connect or um, different types of like support groups, especially around the racial reckoning that the country was facing and is still facing going on and just making sure that students felt like they could connect and have somewhere to go, especially because, you know, as Rachel mentioned, wraparound services, what we know is so often what's going on outside the classroom applies in higher ed as well is uh, you know happening affects what happens inside the classroom so institutions are really trying to use that funding to uh, make that work and then I just reported a few weeks ago again about this issue because I had been talking to a lot of college students who you know said I don't even know what it's like to be on a campus right now I don't know what it's like to be in a lecture hall. I just know what it's like to be on Zoom, maybe have my video off. So navigating this brings up, stirs up a lot of, you know, uh, nervous feelings and trying to readjust to something uh, again. So institutions are, again, you know, focusing on what can we do to make this easier? I talked with Tri-C. I thought this was interesting. They mentioned that they are training their frontline workers, so people who are answering the phone, people who are working at libraries, even uh, that that frontline of service to be able to connect with students on this. So if a student says, hey, I'm really anxious or I'm really burnt out or I need someone to talk to, those frontline workers, in addition to the counseling teams, et cetera, can really help connect students with resources. Rachel and Amy, thanks for sharing this information. Let's hope for a healthy and a safe school year. Let's hope that's what we can get this year for the kids. <laughs> for sure. Thanks, Definitely. Dan. Thank you. Rachel McCafferty and Amy Marone have joined us. They both report on education for Cranes Cleveland. You can find all of our podcasts for The Landscape at cranescleveland.com. Just visit the Landscape banner. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Glad you can join us and we'll talk again soon.